It's good to be with you today. Um, we're going to be looking in Mark again, carrying on from where uh, Dan left off last time, um, looking at the cross, um, and we're going to be looking at Jesus' death today and the verses that surround that. I'm going to ask Johnny, he's there, just to come up, and he's going to uh, read these verses for us, and then we'll get into it. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing by heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, in Galilee, in Galilee these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Thanks, Johnny. Cool. So, if you haven't already listened uh, to when Dan sort of did the verses just before this, I do want to encourage you to listen to that. Um, you can go online on our website and look at it, download it, and listen. Um, it really does set the scene. Uh, he just did a, does a wonderful job in sort of highlighting uh, the things of the cross that are very hard to look at. Um, and like he mentioned, has a sense of gloom, a sense of darkness around them. It's, it's slowing right down in Mark. It's causing us to stop and look. And it's, it's not easy reading as we go through these verses. Um, but I do want to encourage you to listen to that. It blessed me hugely in preparation for this, and it will bless you too. So do go back and listen to that if you haven't already heard it. And in the verses that we're looking at today, there are some very powerful emotions that are evoked in what we see. Because... Before us today, I would say, is probably one of the most awful moments in history, and also one of the most awesome moments in history. And so, as we go through these verses today, I want to ask us also to just slow everything down, to stop, and to look at the cross. And I'm actually going to just want to mention right at the beginning the verses at the end uh, of what we're looking at. 40 to 41, is, is these women who were there uh, bearing witness to what was happening to Jesus. And there are a few different types of onlookers that are, are mentioned uh, in the sort of account of the cross. And these women are there, and it's, you know, who knows how much of their account is, is helpful for, for Mark as he writes these things down in terms of what they've seen and shared back with him and told him what happened at the cross. And they were there, they saw what happened. And I want to ask you to join with them today as we look at these verses. Put yourself at the foot of the cross, as it were, and bear witness to what we see. So in verse 33 to 34, it says, At noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, this is why I got Johnny to read it, because I can't pronounce these words. So you can remember what he said, which is interpreted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As I said before, 
Dan mentioned how there's a sense of darkness uh, in the things that are happening on the cross and leading up to the cross, a sense of gloom, a sense of, of desperation, as it were, of things that are just not right happening to Jesus. And that is now actually joined by physical darkness. So the land actually becomes dark. And it's not just the sort of bit of cloud cover that came over, maybe caused a little bit of darkness. In Luke's account, he says, in Luke 23, 45, it says that the sun stopped shining. And, you know, who knows if it actually did stop shining, but that was his description to help us think, actually, a, a true darkness had come over the land at this point. The darkness intensifies over these last three hours that Jesus is on the cross. And it's, in one sense, when I was preparing this and thinking about this, it's almost like nature itself, as it sees this, as it bears witness to this, is, gr- is grimacing to what is happening to Jesus. In verse 34, we then come across some of the most terrifying words in Scripture. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This sense of darkness, this sense of gloom, this sense of this desperate situation that is happening to Jesus is emphasized then by these words. And again, putting yourself at the foot of the cross and hearing these in a loud voice as Jesus cries out these words, what would be your reaction? If you knew him and you were following him, what would be your response as Jesus cries out these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus say this? Well, firstly, it's not because he was unsure or confused by what was happening to him. In John 18, verse 4, it says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? And later on in John 19, 28, it says, later, knowing everything uh, had now been finished so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. So Jesus knew exactly what he was going to encounter. It says he knew what was before him. And as those guards sort of came to arrest him, he knows everything that's going to happen and he gives himself up for it. And if you remember Dan again looking at uh, in the garden and Jesus making that choice, you know, I'm going to drink the cup. He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew all that was going to take place. And it was deeply written in him that this was the Bible, this was scripture being fulfilled. So Jesus is not asking this question as some sort of theological debate or he's waiting for a response. He doesn't know why. And I want to give you two suggestions of why actually he did say this. Well, like we just alluded to there in, the, in John nineteen twenty eight, Jesus knew his scriptures. And if you read Jesus' life, you would see that often on, on different occasions, he would quote scripture. It was in him. It lived in him. It was his response to certain situations. It was his response to being tempted in the desert was to go to the word of God. It was in him. It lived in him. And on the cross, we see that 
Jesus here is actually quoting scripture. And Dan, again, mentioned Psalm 22. If, has anyone here read Psalm 22? It's almost like a script of what happens to Jesus on the cross. And he, if you read that, right at the start in verse 1, this question is there. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, it's not that Jesus is just wanting to impress people by quoting scripture. Remember, he, at this point, is beaten and had been hanging on a cross for three hours. He is in a very desperate physical state. But the word of God is so in him. It is so alive in him that his response in most physical dying need is to quote scripture. I may do this a few times today. <laughs> These are hard verses to look at. The Word of God. The powerful Word of God hanging on a tree. It bubbles up in him. What an example. And... (laughs) Another reason that I would say that Jesus declares, speaks out, shouts in a loud voice these words is because God really did forsake him. In that moment, as he hangs on a tree, this perfect man, son of God, is forsaken by his father. This actually happened. He cries out these words, not to quote scripture, not to look good, not to fulfill a pur- like sort of just to fulfill a purpose, but he is actually being forsaken by God. It is dark. It's impossible for us to comprehend what Jesus was going through in that moment as the sin of all the world is being put upon him as the wrath of God is being poured out on him as he takes the punishment that we deserve we cannot imagine what that would have been like for Jesus to be rejected by his father So as I said earlier, this is one of the most awful moments in history. And Dan did mention, didn't he, about how as we look at the account of the cross, it's almost like he gave the example of that shed where shafts of light come in. And in looking at this, it it amazes me. As Jesus quotes scripture on the cross, it amazes me to read through Psalm 22 again and look at other places in scripture again and again where it is written, it is written what would happen to him. And God in his sovereignty, in his love, in his mercy had planned this to happen to his son. What incredible love, what incredible God we serve 
that it was written in his word hundreds of years before. It was planned that Jesus would go through this for us. That God would forsake God for the sake of us. It's an amazing and awful moment. In verse 35 and 36, when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. What we see happening in these verses is, uh, again, more scripture being fulfilled. So if you want to look quickly at Psalm 22:15, my mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. And in Psalm 69, 21, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. So again, these things that are happening to Jesus are fulfilled, the things that were written. And these confused and misguided onlookers think that he is, at this moment when he shouts out, is actually calling for Elijah to come and rescue him. And again, let's put ourselves in their shoes a little bit. Let's go before the cross. Now, what did they know about Jesus? They would probably have heard stories of him. They would probably be talking to each other. Oh, did you hear Apparently this guy, he fed thousands of people with just a small amount of food. Have you heard the stories about this man who went and healed different people? Have you heard the miracles that he performed? This act is not an act of mercy that they're doing in giving him a drink. It is another act of cruelty. And these onlookers... I was just seeing if they can get Jesus to hold on a little bit longer so that maybe they might see a miracle. Darkness has surrounded them. They must be thinking something's going on here. Who knows what they were thinking? But just give him this little bit. Maybe, hey guys, maybe we'll see something cool happen. Maybe we'll see another miracle. It was an act of cruelty to try and drag out the suffering of Christ that they might see something to impress them. And what is awful about that, obviously, is the cruelty in their hearts, but also that their blindness, not to be able to see that the greatest miracle of all was happening right in front of their eyes. And they were just waiting. Maybe we can get them to hang on a bit longer for a miracle, for something almost like a parlor trick that we could talk to our friends about. Verse 37 and 38. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. As I said earlier on, we bear witness today to one of the most awful moments in history and also to one of the most awesome moments in history. The spiritual darkness, the physical darkness that we read about 
is about to come to an end. Jesus really dies. And he had to, to complete the work. And in John 19 verse 20, it says, uh, at this moment as well, it's recorded Jesus saying that it is finished. The physical suffering, the spiritual suffering that Jesus was going through at this moment was finished. He completed the work. It's such a short verse. <laughs> but as we sit here today and look at this, we, we know that Jesus fulfilled all the rest of the scriptures about him as well and that he rose from the dead and that he's now seated in glory. And we can look back at these verses and we can see that at this moment, as Jesus dies, as he breathes his last, as he declares it is finished, he completes the work of the cross. He has done it. All sin dealt with. All the failed sacrifices of the past that could not accomplish it, accomplished. All the good works that people have done to try and attain favor with God, useless. It's accomplished. He's done it. It's finished. He has made a way for us to be saved. He has made a way for mankind to be reconciled to God. And such is the power of this moment that we read, actually, of a few supernatural things happening. As almost nature was grimacing earlier, as darkness fell over the land in response to what was happening to Jesus, we see another reaction of nature in these verses. In Matthew 27, 51, we read this. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Incredible, miraculous things happening. It's done. This curtain represented a separation. You cannot go. You cannot pass. The way is shut. You cannot go and have relation with God. You're unclean. You cannot come through this curtain. And it tears in two from top to bottom. So there could be no questioning whether it was someone trying to rip it themselves from the bottom. And this curtain, if you read about it and look at historical stuff, it was a big curtain, very thick very tough, and it is torn to bits. It is removed completely. This signifying, this showing forth, this representing, this declaring, the way is open. The way is open. He has done it. I invite you again just to remember where you're standing. And as we look at the cross, as we hear these stories, they're so familiar to us as Christians. Oh, the curtain of the temple was torn to, right? Yeah, and earth shook, yeah, and people were raised from the dead, yeah. 
Has it become cold? I just want to invite you again. Look closely. Because one person who was probably quite cold toward Jesus had a very significant revelation. In verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this was the son of God. The centurion, it was his job to put people to death. He would have been very accustomed to the physical things that would have happened to Jesus. It would not have shocked him. It would have not been uncommon for him to see awful suffering and pain and all of the stuff that goes along with people being crucified. So it was not that that he saw that made him think, this is the Son of God. It is awful what Jesus went through physically, but it was not unique. He saw something else. There was something in the way that Jesus handled himself. There was something in the way that Jesus spoke out those words. There was something in the air as darkness came over the land. There was something in the earth as it shook when Jesus died. And this man sums it up beautifully. Jesus Surely this man was the Son of God. And he was right. The Son of God had just died for the sins of the world. And I don't know what happened to this centurion. Um, and I don't want to over speculate. But isn't it amazing that the power of the cross is at work immediately? That this man, who is taking part in killing Jesus, in the physical job of putting him to death, might have a revelation. And who knows? Who knows? He might have been one of the first to know this salvation at that moment. The guy on the cross next to him, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And maybe this man, who had physically been killing Jesus, would receive the same mercy. Again, what an amazing God we serve. If we were to say, well, if anyone wouldn't deserve it, well, no, none of us, none of us deserve the mercy of God. It is his choice. It is his gift. It is his amazing love poured out for us. What do you see when you look at the cross? These verses today, I'm going to conclude. I'm not looking to, to speak for much longer at all, really, because I think these verses do speak for themselves and we can respond in a moment. These verses clearly show us the completeness of the work of the cross. Jesus is the only one who could complete it. He was the only one who could die in that way. An innocent man, condemned, crucified, forsaken by God. 
And he's also the only one who could declare it finished. There is no more that needs to be done. What an amazing truth. He's dealt with our sin. He's dealt with all that would separate us from God. All the condemnation that we deserve. So, as we come to an end, do we respond sometimes like the onlookers who gave Jesus wine vinegar? Or do we respond or respond today like the centurion? The onlookers were looking for some sort of miracle. The onlookers were just sort of seeing what was on the surface. Looking at their own need, trying to get something out for themselves. The centurion has a revelation and declares the only thing that could be declared, which is this is the son of God. And that is it. In Romans 10, 11 to 13, it says, that scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who will call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Today, I want to encourage you that in the midst of what are some of the hardest verses to look at in terms of what happens to Jesus, in terms of what the reality is, the darkness that was there, friends, has gone. The darkness that held us captive, that which clouded us, that which we were blind has been dealt with. And now we can stand in the finished work of the cross and we can know that there is nothing we need add to it. There is nothing that can be taken away from it. And we can come before the cross this morning. And just like I read in those scriptures there in Romans, that for all who believe we're saved. If you don't believe, if you don't know Christ this morning, I want to say, what do you see? What do you see? Are you in darkness? Are you blind to the truth? This morning, you can know the light breaking in. This morning, you can have your sins forgiven and you can have a restored relationship with God. All of us fall short of his glory but he's made a way.